Thank you, Nick. Um, the, the paper of mine that is on the website is about victims mainly, and with Ross's, the project that Ross is, is heading up on deterrence of deception, we're shifting our focus more towards the, um, the perpetrators, the deceivers. And I'm working with Angela Sasser and Brian Glass on some experiments, and Brian is, is the main event in this, so I'm just going to give you a bit of uh, theoretical background. I'm an economist, a behavioural economist specifically, but I'm not anti-standard economics, so I think that you know, the two can be brought together, and thinking about the deceivers in this context is an interesting way to think through that. So, what is a lie? What is the truth? These are things we have to think of. What's the difference between a lie and deception? Um, so, a lie completely opposite to the truth, scams, frauds, all that sort of stuff. But when we're thinking about deception more generally, it could be just mis-selling, it could be things like payday loans where the information is framed in a particular way, free online services. So I was at, at a conference recently that had the cloud free Wi-Fi. Well, of course, that Wi-Fi is not free because you have to give away a whole load of your personal information with very little privacy protection at all, and yet it's being, you're being told that you're given this Wi-Fi for free. Um, and so all this sort of deception, not, not quite the truth. And so online de deception isn't all about illegal stuff and Nigerian scams or whatever. It's about things that affect everyday life in a more ordinary way. So thinking through what, what we're trying to build up in, you know, and Brian's experimental results give some, some evidence sort of in, in this framework, is, is a taxonomy of deception, the different types of deception we see and why do we see them. And so, keeping it short, there's a whole load of different reasons why people would lie, some of which can be understood very easily using standard economic insights. Um, and so there's a load of things there, opportunism, vengefulness and spite, all that sort of stuff. Paternalistic lies, where you say someone looks nice just because you want to be friendly with them. Social lies, lies of convenience. So these sorts of bot butler lies, where you, you, you send a text saying, you know, my train was late to get out of going to a meeting. A, a little lie to sort of give you this online social buffering sort of idea. Cheap talk, exaggeration, minimisation, some of those th things linking into some of the... Presentations from the first session. But another reason that people lie is just pure bad habit. Um, so often, if you can't make it along to a meeting or you're going to be late, you might invent an excuse when perhaps it's a lot easier just to tell the truth. Um, creating a fabrication can be a lot more complicated, a lot less effective, but it's just the habit of lying, wherever that might come from. Another thing that we haven't talked about too much, but the self-deception, the cognitive dissonance, a, a great range of reasons why, why we lie. Um, and I think what's been quite interesting, moving from a focus on the victims to a focus on the perpetrators, is that as a behavioural economist, um, you know, there's a whole literature there on the wide range of reasons why people might suffer from a cognitive bias. I'm assuming most people are quite aware of that literature to one, some degree or another. So heuristics is quick decision-making rules. They're not necessarily stupid or irrational. They're just reflecting the fact that there are bounds on our cognition, our memory, information, whatever, and they lead us into these systematic biases. So the Kahneman-Tversky sort of literature on that. Um, learning habits, all those sorts of things, social influence. One issue I'm particularly interested in is present bias, that people aren't very good at looking to the future, and there might be inconsistencies. Um, and I think, for example, when do people don't protect themselves properly um, against attacks, for example, linking to Bonnie's presentation before, 
maybe that's just about procrastination, something about their time preference, as an economist would call it, that's leading them into this behaviour that's not very helpful. Evolutionary biology, concepts of ecological rationality, the rationality is determined by the context in which you find yourself. There's a load of interesting literature there. And so my paper that's on the, on the website says a lot about the victims. And what we're moving towards now is the deceivers. And my argument would be that there are two distinct types of bias going on. The victims are suffering a cognitive bias, but the perpetrators suffering what might be called a motivational bias, but it's still economically rational in a relatively standard sense. Um, they're exploiting informational advantages. It's creating these principal agent problems where you know, they're not doing what they promised to do in some sense or another. And if you look at the economic literature... Oh, sorry about that. That's, uh, that's Eret and Nisi, 2012 did a taxonomy of lies, and the basic idea here, so this has sort of turned their diagram into something that's a bit uh, easier to see, is that, let's say, you've got a sender of a lie, and the receiver receives the lie. Um, and if both the sender gains and the receiver gains, that's what an economist would call a Pareto improvement. Everyone's happy. If the sender gains and the receiver loses, that's selfish. But that's absolutely st in standard economic analysis. Uh, an assumption is a selfish behaviour. If the sender loses and the receiver gains, that's altruism. But in an online deception context, I can't imagine a context in which um, some sort of online scam or deception of what I ever thought can be altruistic. So we can leave that altruistic um, um, combination out of our analysis. The other is the sender loses and the receiver loses... So Eret and Nisi call this spiteful behaviour, that the sender you know, doesn't mind inflicting pain on the receiver. Like with an ultimatum game, if people know that literature, people are prepared to punish others for not giving them a, a fair offer. But it, and uh, Eret and Nisi don't mention this, but this is all the situa also the situation of a, a prisoner's dilemma. When both people lie, they lie about having committed a crime in order to try and get away from the maximum sentence and this is, you know, this again can be captured by standard economic analysis. So my argument would be that if you're thinking about the victim, yes, behavioural economics has a lot to offer in terms of helping us to understand that. But if you're thinking about the deceiver, the fraudster, you can understand it just in terms of incentives and information, which are fairly standard insights from, from economics. Um, so what are some of these in insights for deterrence of deception? Um, so the act of online deception is mainly about insensitive information, as I've just said, and so it's a motivational bias. It's not really about cognitive bias, and standard economic insights can help us a great deal to, to understand some of that sort of stuff. Where behavioural economics really comes in is offering potential solutions. So, and as Brian will, will refer to in his, his presentation, perhaps, that if you've got someone who's committing an online scam, who's online deception, if you can get them to worry a bit more about their reputation, the social influence is building up good social capital so that people are going to be prepared to, to deal with them in the future. Now that, that might be one option. Shifting people's time preferences um, to encourage a more far-sighted approach also actually connects with the first one as well. Enabling victims to learn, to gain insights. It could be reward learning, it could be social learning, it could be you know, strategic learning. 
Um, and finally, whether there are nudges. I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical of the whole nudge literature that you just set up some simple cognitive tricks and everyone's going to do what the policymaker wants them to do. Um, but, you know, they, they have their role to play. I guess the most famous, we know, the most widely known sets of nudges are the default option, setting everything up. So, you know, the default is, is the safest thing for them. So my overall argument would be that behavioural economics, in terms of understanding the fraudster or the, you know, the, the deceiver, is offering solutions rather than helping us necessarily to understand the problem. But Brian will tell you a bit more about um, our experiments in this sort of broad field. Thank you. Thank you.